discover the inherent power of God in you. Whether there are challenges or not, we are still the same. We are constant. God is constant. God does not change. And that is the life that we have received. It says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the same life we have also received. We are also the same yesterday, today, and forever. What kind of life? We, we, we are the same because we have the same life with Christ. So when you think about God, think about you. Because everything he is, that is why he told Abraham, he said, I am your, your exceeding great reward. God gave himself as a reward to Abraham. And we are the seed of Abraham. Then Discover the inherent power of God in you. Whether there are challenges or not, we are still the same. We are constant. God is constant. God does not change. And that is the life that we have received. He says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the same life we have also received. We are also the same yesterday, today, and forever. What kind of life? We, we, we are the same because we have the same life with Christ. So when you think about God, think about you. Because everything he is, that is why he told Abraham, he said, I am your, your exceeding great reward. God gave himself as a reward to Abraham. And we are the seed of Abraham. Therefore, we have inherited God himself. Listen to Pastor Oti Boatin as Christ is magnified. for stirrings of giftings to your glory. Give it in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a shout and you may take your seat. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. All those of you outside, I see you. You are welcome to church as well. And if you can find a seat, it will be good to find a seat for yourself. Okay. Constance, it's good to see you. Albright, it's good to see you. Eugene, it's good to see you. Patrick, it's good to see you. Beverly, it's good to see you. Yeah. Obed, it's good to see you. <laughs> Hallelujah. Chris, it's good to see you. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So, I want to share with you on seven great things the resurrection gives us seven great things the resurrection gives us say seven great things the resurrection gives to us say it with me say seven great things the resurrection gives us one last time seven great things the resurrection gives us beautiful today's resurrection sunday right um you know sometimes people argue that oh jesus didn't die on a friday and jesus didn't die around this time and so there's always a debate about what time jesus died because jesus couldn't have died on a friday if you look at it critically from the scriptures it's actually not supposed to be Good Friday, but Good Thursday. Because Jesus mentioned that he was going to spend three nights and three days in the belly of the earth. That's what Jesus said, isn't it? So if Jesus died on Friday, he couldn't have resurrected on Sunday. Because if we are even counting, it's good to see you. If we are even counting the normal nights, it's Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday morning was up. Means, meaning that he spent two days. You get it? In the Jewish calendar, or in the, among the Jews, they count their days from evening to morning. So if you read in Genesis chapter 1, um, you can read from verse 4. Look at Genesis 1. Let's read 3 into 4. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. Have you seen it? And God called the day light, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. So they count from evening to morning. They don't count from morning to evening. So a typical Jewish day will start after 5 p.m. It starts after sunset. So they count from evening to morning. If you look at the second day, look at, go to the next verse 6. 
And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let, the, let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven and the evening and the morning were the second day. Have you seen it? If you go on, you see evening and morning, the third day, evening and morning, the fourth day, like that. So the, the, the typical Jewish day starts from around 6 p.m. after sunset to the following day before sunset. Please, do you understand? So if Jesus died on a Friday, it doesn't work. Because he rose, the Bible mentions that he rose again from the dead on the first day of the week, which is a Sunday. Sunday is actually the first day of the week, not uh, Monday. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, so if he rose on a Sunday morning, then it means that if we calculate from Friday, it doesn't work. It has to be from Thursday. Jesus was arrested on Thursday dawn, around 2 a.m. By 9 a.m., he had been judged between 9 and 12. He was on his way uh, by, I think it was just around 8. Between 8 and 9, he was on his way to Calvary. And then by 9, The centurion was surprised at all that was happening because nobody dies for there to be darkness. The whole place was dark. It was 12 by Luke, that's it was 8 p.m. For three long hours. And when he died, there was earthquake all over the place. And after the earthquake, the graves opened. Every grave in Jerusalem opened up. Can you imagine? All the graves broke. When your grandfather died, this is that what happened? grandfather died nothing happened everything was normal isn't it it shows you that jesus was not he was not an ordinary person he was not a normal person hallelujah so if we come from thursday thursday night so it starts thursday night into friday before sunset that's one night one day isn't it then friday night into saturday morning is two nights, two days. Then Saturday, which was a Sabbath, okay, to Sunday, Saturday night to Sunday before sunset is three nights, three days. And Jesus rose on the Acts chapter 10, right? 39 into 40. Look at Acts 10, verse 38 says that how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Who went about doing good, isn't it? Yes. And healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Then verse 39 says something. So if you are in verse 39, kindly read it out to me. One to go. And we are witnesses of all these things, uh -huh, which Jesus did. This is Peter talking. Okay? Both what? Both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. Whom they slew and hung on a tree. Next verse. Him God raised up on the third day. So on the third day, he rose from the dead, which was on the first day of the week, which was on the Sunday morning. That's why we worship on Sunday. That's why we don't worship on Saturday. Jesus rose on the first day of the week. So we celebrate or we meet on Sundays, not on Saturdays. SDA meets on Saturdays. That's on the Sabbath. But Jesus rose on the Sunday, which is the first day of the week. And the church of old started meeting on Sunday, the first day of the week. If you, there are so many places. First Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. On the first day of the week, when you are come together, let the, he says, put your monies down. Let there no be more, no, no gathering when I come and all of that. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So it shows us that they were meeting on the resurrection day. Some of them, look at the next verse. Let's read the next verse. Verse 46. One to go. Some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Verse 47. And now that the chief priests and the Pharisees announced him, he said, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. Verse 48. All men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take both our way, our place, and nation. Have you seen it? Yeah. Can you, and when they brought him before 
Herod, and when they brought him before Pilate, the Bible says that Pilate knew that for envy they had brought him. Jesus claimed that he was a son of God. And it was not just a claim. He was doing things that no human being could do. Nobody could do it. So they knew that there's something going on. If we don't take care of this guy, our place will be taken. So they killed Jesus. So Luke set out to write concerning the sure, it's sure that these things are not just stories. Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. Okay? You know medical students. Medical students are the most educated amongst us. It's the truth. They are, their training is better than everybody else. Yeah, maybe after them you come to pharmacists and then lawyers. The rest of us, we are just in the school. You have come to school to come and learn something. What are you doing? Business admit, my friend. What course are you doing? Architecture too, yeah, they have a good training as well. Optometry too has a good training. Planning. You may not, you may not plan even your life with it. I tell you. Even your own life, you can't plan with it. Hey! What a shock. So Luke was a, he was a doctor and he sat down to document concerning the things that actually happened. Because they actually happened, they were real, they were true. And he was writing to one Theophilus, who was a nobleman, an astute person, and hence needed information concerning what had really happened, so that he could believe. Do you get it? So go back to Luke, Luke chapter 1, where we're reading. Do you like what I'm telling you? So the documentation concerning his death was true. He really died. And the documentation concerning his burial was true because he really was buried. And the documentation concerning the fact that he came from the dead was true because he actually came out from the grave. Someone actually came out of the grave, not by the agency of another person because Jesus had brought people back to life. During his life, he brought several people back from the dead. But all those people died again. It's called resuscitation. They were resuscitated and they died again. Are you listening to me? But Jesus rose from the dead and has not died to date. Right before the disciples, he ascended, he levitated before them and went into the skies. And he has spoken concerning it before it even happened. The first day he met Nathaniel uh, um, met him, he asked him, is it because I said you are standing under the tree, you believe? What will you do when you see the son of man ascend back to where he came from? What will you do? And it happened live. On the ascension day, his own brothers and sisters were around. His mother was around. They knew him as their brother. They knew him as one of them. Right before them, he went against the laws of physics. Went against the laws of gravitation and went straight into the skies. Amazing. So these things are true. Go back to Luke chapter 1. Verse 1 where we're reading. Hallelujah. Do you have Luke chapter one? Uh-huh. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed amongst us. Most surely. There are no two ways about this. Most surely believed. Next verse. Even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses. So there were eyewitnesses accounts and ministers of the word. Next verse. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things. This is a doctor saying that I've had perfect understanding of all things. From the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus. So he was writing to this Theophilus guy. Next verse. Then he says, so that you may know the certainty of those things wherein thou has been instructed. There's a certainty to it. It's not, it's not hearsay. Do you get it? Yeah. yeah. God actually visited this earth. And his name was Jesus Christ. And he did things that no human being could do. One day he walked on water. When they saw him walking on the water, they thought it was a spirit or was a ghost. And they were all afraid. Then he said, oh, it's me. Just imagine someone you are eating fufu, banquet and fufu with. Walking on the, what? On the sea. I mean, it's not normal. It's not normal. And these are things that actually happened. It actually happened. 
So the record concerning his resurrection is actually true. It's not a hearsay. It's not a make. It's not a makeup story or a made-up story. No, it actually happened. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It actually happened. Tell anybody it actually happened. It actually happened. So you've not believed. Tell your neighbor you've not believed, you've not believed. in some hearsay. Or some fake story. story. It actually happened. So he wants you to know the certainty of it. Okay? It actually happened. Now, when Jesus came out of the graves, there are several things that his coming out of the graves accomplished. But there are seven very important ones that I want to pick out for you on this resurrection morning. Are you in the church? Seven of them. The first one is that the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ gives us, you and me, our objective faith. Objective faith. Say objective faith. Objective faith. Do you have a notebook? Do you have a pen? Are you a shark? But even sharks take notes when they go to school, isn't it? If you don't take notes, it means that you don't know, you will not know what I'll say. Because I'm going to quote so many scriptures that will help you and help you know the certainty of what you have believed. Already I've quoted some. They are in the Bible, but you may not have seen it. Have you realized that they are saying, I've just said some few things, you're like, ah, is this one today? Is there? Uh huh, is there? Hallelujah. Okay, so I want you to, even if you don't have a notebook, take your phone and put something down. Write some of the scriptures down and write something that comes to you as I'm preaching to you down. Okay? Don't be a child of God who is clueless and does not know what is going on. You are bereft of information. Hallelujah. So I said the first thing the resurrection of Jesus Christ gives to us is what? Our objective faith. There are two kinds of faith in the Bible, or two types of faith. The first one is objective faith, and the other one is subjective faith. Subjective faith is our faith, your faith, in in trusting God, in accomplishing many things. Okay? In, in, for instance, um, our subjective faith is what made us do what we have done. This particular structure here. It's our objective faith that prayed you. You are a result of our prayer. And you are a result of our prophecies. The prophecies that God gave to us. If you are here today, you didn't just come. You didn't just come and sit here. The Lord led us as we put our faith to work with respect to what he wants us to do. To prophesy you here. That people are coming. If you are a leader, you know what I'm talking about. You said it's people, many people are coming. This is the smallest number of people who will be here. Yes. There's a time coming and I'll come to this place. And just this place will have 10,000 people here. Whether you say Jesus name or not, it's going to happen. Why? Because of subjective faith. It's the faith you have and the faith you use to accomplish various things, both in the kingdom of God, on a personal level, in your finances and all of that. It's given to you by God and you grow it. But then there's objective faith. It's the faith that all of us have. It's the faith that concerning our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, what you believed first. Please, you understand? That is our objective faith. So, Jesus' resurrection is what produces our objective faith. Okay? Let me explain it some more. If you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 1, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 1. It's a long read, but I think it will help you. I want you to pay close attention to all that we are going to say. Okay? It says, moreover, brethren, this is Paul talking to the Corinthian church, okay? Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and in which you stand, wherein you stand. So he's talking about the gospel, the message that was preached, which is our objective faith. What was preached for us to believe? What we heard for us to believe? For us to be born again. Do you get it? That's the objective faith. Anything after that is your subjective faith. Okay? Okay, so he's talking about objective faith now. Next, verse 2. By which also you are saved. He says, by this, by this thing that you heard, you got saved. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you. 
unless you have believed in vain. So he says you have to remember what was preached to you for you to believe and be born again. He's expecting you to remember. Can you imagine? Next verse. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. What's that which I also received? How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. So the first aspect of objective faith is the fact that Christ died for our sins. Christ didn't die for his girlfriend. He didn't die for for himself. He died for our sins. And that is what we believe. That is what is preached and that is what we believe. Do you understand? Romans chapter 4 verse 25 says that Christ Jesus was delivered on account of our offenses. Read the Amplified. Let's read the Amplified. Romans 4.25. He says, who was betrayed and put to death because of our misdeeds. It is because of your misdeeds. That's why Jesus died. Jesus didn't do anything bad. Jesus was a good man. He was a wonderful man. He did everything nice. Every good thing you can think about. In John chapter 10 verse 30, Jesus said that I and my father are one. Then the Jews took up stones to stone him. Then he said in verse 32, many good things, many good works have I showed you from my father. For which of those works do you stone me? Which of them are you stoning me for? I've done so many good things amongst you. Why are you stoning me? Look at the next verse. They said, for a good work we stone thee not. They knew that he had done many good works. So they said, for a good work we stone thee not. But for blasphemy be and because thou being a man makest thyself God. They said, you are a man and you are making yourself God. How can you say that I and my father are one? They all knew their father. They knew that their father is God. If you say you and the father are one, it means that you are God. So they took up stones to stone him. But they knew that he had done many good works. In the book of Mark, the Bible says that they brought a certain man to him who was deaf and blind. He was dumb, deaf, dumb, and blind. He could not see, he could not talk, he could not hear. Bad combination. Mark chapter 7 verse 36. But Jesus healed the guy to the point that the guy could see, he could hear, and he could talk. He says, and when Jesus prayed for the person and the person became fine, he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal, they published it. They started saying, they couldn't keep quiet about it. He told them, don't say, don't say anything to anybody. But they were just publicizing it all over the place. It's unlike most preachers today. Preachers doing miracles want to have camera on them all the time. But on several occasions, most of Jesus' miracles were done in secret. That's the time we say, don't talk about it. Yes. That shows you the objective he had. It was for the glory of God, not for his fame. But now, most preachers want to have fame. So every prayer must be prayed. If you are ill, come for a prayer line. For the camera to be on. So that when we pray for you in your well, we can know that it can be advertised. This woman came here. Her stomach was as big as something with cancer. And when I prayed for her, the cancer vanished. My sister, what are you sitting at home for? Come. Me wa udru udru dakuman janshian. Now we see what dakuman janshian. Hey! What a shock. But Jesus was telling them, hide it. Don't, don't tell anybody. Amazing. Heaven will be interesting. Oh. Next verse. Look at the next verse. This is what I want to show you, okay? And he says the people were beyond measure astonished, saying, he has done all things well. They knew it. He has done all things well. He maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. One of them said that, when the, the Messiah can really do more than this man is doing, how come he's not the Messiah? He should be the Messiah. Wow. So Jesus did so many good things, but they crucified him. They arrested him like a thief. Beat him and killed him. Why? Because of you. Tell neighbor, because of you. Because of you. Tell the other neighbor by you. Because of you. Because Tell the neighbor behind you. Because of you. Because of yeah. yeah. So Romans chapter 4 verse 25 says it. He says that he was betrayed and put to death. Why? Because of our misdeeds. Our foolishness. 
Okay? That's the first part. He was delivered for our sins. So our objective faith brings us into believing that our sins have actually been dealt with. Because of if Christ died, then our sins have been taken care of. And the other aspect of our objective faith is the resurrection. So, he says, and was raised to secure our justification, our acquittal, our being declared not guilty. So, the fact that Jesus died is a show that our sins have been forgiven. And the fact that Jesus rose from the dead is a show that we have a receipt to the fact that he died. And we have received to the fact that we will never die again because when he died, he died to sin. And when he rose again, he rose again against sin. Okay, so you go back to 1 Corinthians 15. Let me pick it up gradually for you, okay? Seven things. I'm on point number one, right? Okay. He says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which, also, which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Next verse. Because there are so many scriptures that say so many things about his death. And he came to come and fulfill them. Live and colored. <laughs> if reading Psalm 22, you'll be shocked. Look at Psalm 22, verse 6. You'll be shocked that this was written, and that's exactly what happened. Psalm 22. It says, But I am a worm, and no, and no man, a reproach of men, and despise of the people. And they that see me laugh to scorn. They shoot the lip, out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted on the Lord. That he would not, he would deliver him. Let him deliver him. Seeing he delighted in him. This is exactly what happened in Matthew chapter 27. Look at verse 2. Go back to verse 2. Go to verse 2. Psalm 22 verse 2. My God. Oh my, oh my God. I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, then I'm not, I'm not silent. But thou art holy. Oh thou that inhabitest the praise of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee. Verse 1. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Is this not what Jesus said? It's exactly what Jesus said. And he, it was written about him before he came. And he said exactly the same thing. The way he was talking about, they shaking their head and saying that he trusted in God. Let the Lord save him. It's the same thing the Pharisees said. And the same thing that people passing by said. When they looked at him, they shook, they shook their head like this and said, he trusted in God. Let God save him. And then he would go. They would go. They were acting on the scriptures. So it was written about him and he came to fulfill it. It's an amazing thing. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, and that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures because his resurrection had also been prophesied. Next verse. And that he was seen of Cephas. Cephas is Peter. Then of the twelve. After that he was seen of about 500 brethren. So many people saw him. 500 people saw him. More than 500 people saw him at once. Of whom the greater part remained unto this present at the time he was writing. But some are dead or falling asleep. Next verse. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. Jump to verse 11. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach. What did we preach? We preached his death and we preached his resurrection. So we preach and so you believed. Next verse. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Because some people are saying that there is no resurrection of the dead. Since if Christ was preached among you that he rose from the dead, how, are, how come some people are saying that there is no resurrection of the dead? Next verse. But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? Is it true? Next verse. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain? You see what the resurrection does? The resurrection is what makes our preaching valid. I'm talking about objective faith, okay? And if Christ be not raised, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Which faith is that? Your objective faith, what you believed, what we preach for you to believe, is also vain. It's also useless. Next verse. Yea, and we have found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised on up, if so be that the dead rise not. He says, we are, then we are liars. Next verse. Can you read this to me? Then is not Christ raised. Verse 17. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Have you seen it? If Jesus did not come from the dead, then you are still in your sins. It is his resurrection. That makes us know. It is proof and receipt of the fact that we are truly forgiven. Ye are yet in your sins. Your faith is vain. 
and you are yet in your sins. So Jesus, the resurrection of Christ is what attests to the fact that what we have believed works. It's not fake. Everything attached to what we have believed is true. It's not fake. So his resurrection gives us our objective faith, which lets us know that we have truly died to sin. And we are now alive to God. Truly, it's not, it's not by feeling. It is something that has actually happened. It happened because of what Christ did. He was delivered on account of our offenses and was raised on account of our justification. So if you know that Jesus rose from the dead, you know that you are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Look at Romans 6 from verse 6 to verse 10. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. This is powerful, but not today. Next, verse 7. For he that is dead is freed from sin. If someone dies, the person cannot do anything. Can the person steal? Can the person think bad thoughts? Why? The person is dead, isn't it? The person is dead, so the person is freed from sin. Next verse. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. We actually live with him now. Yeah. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead, dieth no more. If the person has come out from the dead, he can't die anymore. Yeah. Death has no more dominion over him. Have you seen it? Yeah. So, the resurrection lets us know that death, because when Christ rose from the dead, we were in him when he came out of the dead. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, lets us know. Look at Ephesians 2, 6. He says, and he has raised us up together. He didn't raise Jesus up alone. He raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We've been raised together with Christ. When Jesus came out of the graves, you and I were in him and we all came out of the graves together. So what happened to him happened to us. When he went to hell, we went to hell with him. The reason why you are not going to go to hell again, if you are born again, is because you've been there already. How did you go there? You went there in Christ Jesus. You went there in Jesus. Jesus' sacrifice is your sacrifice. His death is your death. And his resurrection is your resurrection. So now you have something called resurrection life. That's what you have now. Go back to Romans chapter 6. You better believe it. It's, it's, It's most surely believed. It is true. It's not false. And it works. If you believe what God has said concerning you and believe what God said concerning Jesus Christ and his work for you, it will change your life forever. That is why some of us are shouting because we know what we have. We know what God has given to us. Yeah, that is why we are shouting. That is why we don't allow anything to depress us. There are a lot of people who are depressed in life. But we cannot be depressed. It's not possible. Why? Because Christ died for me. He says, but God commended his love towards us. In that while we were yet sinners, when we were not correct, Christ came to die for us. He came to die for us. He says, and if he died, go to that place, Romans 5, 8. But God commended his love towards us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died when we were sinners. Next verse. Much more than, much more than, how much more than being now justified or being now declared not guilty by his blood. He says we shall be saved from wrath through him. Meaning that if you are born again, there is no wrath for you in any place in any way. There are Christians who are afraid of going to hell. There is something wrong with you. You don't know what you have. They can have a dream and they see the devil chasing them. Then they wake up. Hey, the devil is chasing me. You don't know who you are. If you knew who you are, you would turn and start chasing the devil in the dream. can a lion be running away from a fake lion? He says the devil like a rolling lion. He's like. He's not. He's mimicking Christ. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. The devil is not a lion at all. And we are of the lion order. We are of the lionic order. That's our, that's our order. We are all lions in Christ. He is like a lion. He's faking it. He's roaring and faking it. If you know who you are. You will turn and say, my friend, what, what do you mean? When you, with one roar, you run away. Hallelujah. Give the Lord a shout if you like what I'm saying to you. He says, knowing that being, that Christ being raised on the dead, died no more. 
Death has no more dominion over him. Next verse, verse, verse 10. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. And if he died unto sin once, it means that we also died unto sin once. And then he says, he liveth unto God. Therefore, we also live unto God. Now that you're a child of God, you live unto God. Yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So two things include, are included in our objective faith. Sin being dealt with through his death and resurrection bringing us his righteousness. So his righteousness is now asked for us. His goodness is now for us. We now have the gift of righteousness because of the resurrection. You see, so if Christ was not raised on the dead, then our faith is vain. This is what our faith is based on. This is what we believe. So the resurrection is very important. Without that, there is no faith. There is no objective faith. It says you are yet in your sin. Jesus' resurrection is the ticket, is the receipt and proof that actually we've been forgiven. And his resurrection is a proof of the fact that we are now righteous. We've been justified freely by his blood. We are now righteous sons and daughters of God. And it is true. It is certain. It is not fake. Say it is not fake. Say to your other neighbor, it is not fake. It is true. It is real. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. I have so many scriptures here. I don't know which one to quote for you. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Righteousness is available now. It's free of charge. Hmm? Therefore, being justified by faith. Faith in what? Faith in what? His death and his resurrection. So that's what he's talking about. He says, we are justified freely. The word justified means to be what? To be declared not guilty. Or to be declared righteous. To be declared a friend of God. To be declared someone as someone who can come close to God. Someone who God has no longer, is not at longer hands with. Someone who is a child of God. That's what it means. He says, therefore, being justified. He didn't say we are going to. He says, you have now been. Being is a continuous present tense, isn't it? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Now we have peace with God. Are you a child of God? Yeah. Say, I have peace with God. I have peace with God. God is not fighting me. God is not fighting me. Therefore, I will not fight God. You know, there are a lot of people who feel that God, is, that God doesn't like them. Because of one or two things. Ask your neighbor, what are the one or two things that you feel God does not like you because of? Those outside, ask your neighbor, what are the one or two things that you feel God does not like you because of? Amazingly, God cannot be angry with you. It's hey, also. You are now at peace with God, and God is at peace with you. And God is in your life to help you. That's why He's in your life. He's in your life to help you overcome all the problems that you can never face. The Bible says that because He has gone through things, He's able to understand when you're also going through things. And He's able to help you when you're going through things. So, no matter, maybe you feel lonely. Jesus also felt lonely at a point in His life. All those who ever who he ever stayed with and lived with, left him. And that, that was what broke his heart. Yes, he said that, listen, all of you will forsake me. That's what he said. He said, all of you will forsake me. And Peter said, hey, what are you talking about? He said, stop saying that those things. Even if everybody should forsake you, me, I'll not forsake you. Wherever you go, I'll go with you. Then Jesus said to him, my brother, before morning, before the cock crows twice, you'd have denied me three times. And Peter said, it cannot happen to me. It happened live after some few hours. Few hours. One small girl asked Peter, ah, you are one of them. I think I, I've seen you before with them. Say, uh, are you crazy? What do you mean? Come on, leave my, leave my man. I don't know him from anywhere. Then another young man came. He was warming himself by the fire. Another young man came and said, ah, even your looks and your speech betray you. You look like him. You are Galilean. He said, I swear my father can do not call. I have 
have never seen him in my life before. Then that same small girl came again and said, Ah, this girl, you brother, you are one of them. He said, I will slap you. I'll be fisherman. I'm not saying whatever. As he was saying that, the Bible says that his eye caught, met the eyes of Jesus. And Jesus was looking at him like this. And the cock crowed just like that. It pained him so much. Peter cried for a very long time. It was so serious that when Jesus rose from the dead, eh, he told Mary, go and tell my disciples and Peter. He had to mention to let him know that, listen, I've forgiven you. Yeah, I've forgiven you. So maybe someone broke your heart. Forgive the person. Hey. Is it a message? Jesus can feel what you feel. Yeah. Hebrews chapter, Hebrews chapter 2. Last two verses of Hebrews 2. He says, Wherefore, in all things, it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren. Let's read a lighter version so that maybe message, so I can understand it. He says, That's why he had to enter into every detail of human life. He entered every detail of human life. Then, when he came before God as high priest to get rid of the people's sins, Next verse. He would have already experienced it all himself. All the pain. All the pain he has experienced in himself. All the testing. You see a lady passing by her like, hey, my God, my God, why has thou forsaken me? Hey! Jesus who has had some testings and some Mary will be moving around to whom to, to whom from. To whom do you belong to? Hey! What a shock. Jesus will look and look away. The Lord is my shepherd. He has gone through it all. So that when you are going through it, he can help you along. That's why he says all the pain, all the testing, and will be able to help where help was needed. So wherever, whatever help you need for whichever aspect of your life, Jesus is the best person to help you. Nobody can help you as much as he can. Actually, nobody understands what you are going through mostly. Most of the time, nobody really understands. Nobody can really address what is going on. It's only Jesus. It's only the Holy Spirit who can actually tell and help you and speak to your heart to let you know that, listen, don't worry about this. It's not the end of your life. Let's move on. Wow. Give the Lord a clap if you like what I'm saying. Hallelujah. So he knows it all. Okay? He knows it all. He went through it all so that you will not go through it all. So that he can be a help for you. He can be a great help for you. Go to the one in chapter 4, right? Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. This time around, we can read it in the message too. We don't have a priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's not out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experience, experience it all, all but the sin. In other words, he was tempted, but then he did not do what they said, what the sin wanted him to do. So he's able to help you to also not do whatever you have been tempted to do. It's a temptation, but he's able to help you to not do what you, you think you will do. What a shock. You are giving more scriptures eh? This one says, Unto him that is able to keep you from falling. You don't like my message. So that's the first thing the resurrection does. It gives us our objective faith. Okay? Yeah. And the surety of it. The assurance of it. I know I'll never go to hell. Why? Because Jesus went there for me. What am I going to do there? He has been there already for me. You know, up to date, there are some Christians who are afraid. They are afraid that when the rapture comes, they will not go. And now you will not be here, left behind. Hey! You will not be left behind. He says, How much more 
now that we have, we have been justified by faith, we shall be saved. Through this. How much more? How, if when you were not correct, Jesus came to die for you in your not correct state, how much more now that you are his child? Ah, because you have believed in him through Jesus Christ. He says you shall be saved from wrath. Every kind of wrath. Every kind of anger. All the anger of God is not directed towards you. You are the object of God's love now. You are the peace that God is interested in. Yeah. That's, that's it. So when you hear that Jesus has resurrected, become excited. Yeah. Yeah. That's my fourth point, but let me do it now. The next thing the resurrection gives us is joy unspeakable. Joy unspeakable. Because you see, Jesus wrote an inheritance for us before he died. Any wise man, okay, if you're a man who has lived and you don't write a will and you die, you are thought of as a very some way person. Because there are families, there's a family I know right now whose um, the lady's husband died. She, they had two children. Very young lady, she's like 35. But the husband died. When the husband died, before the husband died, they had built a house. But the husband didn't think he was going to die early. So he didn't write a will. The family of the husband are taking the house from the lady and the children. Can you imagine? The woman is crying. They are pushing them out of the house. All because there's no will. Jesus did not make that mistake. He wrote a will for you. <laughs> and amazingly, Jesus had Jesus is the custodian of all things. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to verse 17. Look at Colossians 1, 15 to 17. He says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the first one of every creature. Next verse. For by him were all things. Everything is by him. Hmm? For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. Everything in heaven and everything on earth was created by him. He did it. Visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. They were created by him and for him. It's like someone building himself a house. He built it himself. It was built by him and it was built for him. It was built through him. Everything is for him. He says even the principalities and powers are for him. And guess what? He willed everything to you. Everything. That is why in 1 Corinthians 3, 21, he says, therefore let no man glory in men, for all things are yours. All things are yours. Next verse. Whether Paul or Apollos, he says, even the preachers are for you. Or Cephas, or the world. The whole world is yours. Or life. Life is yours. Or death. Death is yours. Can you imagine? Death is yours. Meaning that you don't have to die like a chicken. Or death. Or things present. Everything in today is yours. Or things to come. The future is yours. All things are yours. Then it says, and you are Christ. You belong to Christ. And Christ belongs to God. He says, you are dead and your life is hidden Christ in God. Brother, you are special. He has left us inheritance. He died and left us inheritance. So in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, he lets you know. He says that, and now brethren, I commend you to God. And to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. The inheritance that he reserved for you among all them which are sanctified. There's an inheritance. He left us inheritance. Both here on earth and there in heaven. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, 4, and 5. Look at First Peter 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again, or given birth to us again, or give, become, made us born again unto a living or lively hope. How? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ gives us a living hope. Next verse. I'll talk about that. Then it says, to an inheritance incorruptible. 
and undefiled. And that faded not away, reserved in heaven for you. So the inheritance starts from here all the way to heaven. Like joy throughout. Blessings throughout. If you are born again, eh? if you are born again, the, the day you become born again, you are brought into inheritance. All you need to do is to start growing so that you can enjoy the inheritance. Because if you are not grown, if you are not 18 and they've given you an inheritance worth $40 billion, you have to get to 18. If you are not 18, you can't access it. So he wants you to grow. So in Galatians 4 verse 1, he says, now the heir, as long as, if you don't grow, this is one of the reasons why you must grow in the Lord. I preached to our church in the, in the diaspora and I preached on, on reasons why you must grow. Yeah, reasons why you must grow. If you don't grow, you will not enjoy your inheritance. There are other Christians who don't know anything in the Bible. Don't be like that. Maybe you just came. Don't be like that. Or else you will not, you will not, you will not enjoy. Listen, by God's grace, I am rich. I'm not trying to. I'm rich by God's grace. But I've been poor before. I've been very poor before. You, people see me now and they wonder. When I say I've been poor, they're like, oh, pastor, stop joking. I mean, I... it's the truth. I've been poor before. But by believing in what God has done for me in Christ Jesus, I've prospered over the years. Learning the scriptures and learning what he has said concerning me has given me confidence. There's nothing I get involved in that will not work. Whatever I touch will work. Whatever I touch will work. Yeah, that's the truth. I'm foolishly confident. Sometimes even worrying for me. Like, tone down a little. I'm so confident about the future. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of death. That maybe I'll get a cast. If the cast will crash, I'll, I'll walk out. On scarf. Wow. Why? Because I know what the word of God has said. He says, now I see unto as that, that the heir, the one who has been given the inheritance, as long as he's a child, differed nothing from a servant. Even though he's a lot of all. He's a lot of all. He's the owner of all things. But because he's not growing, he's not different from a servant in the house. If the servants are eating cocoa, he also eats cocoa. Meanwhile, there's jollof rice with chicken thai on it. With uh, uh, salad. With shawarma on the side. Sweetheart, what do you like? What do you like? Pizza. Do you like pizza? Do you like pizza? <laughs> she can't answer. What do you like? Uh, what do you like? Fufu with goat lighty. The smelling one. With, yeah, with mushrooms and snails. If you are not growing, can you give this to a child? Can you give this to a one-year-old? Fufu with snails. Just playing with the soup. It's not going to work. You bath in the soup. You must grow. The more you grow, the more you enjoy. Yeah, that's the truth. Jesus left us an inheritance. And amazingly, he rose again from the dead to ensure that you enjoy the inheritance. You didn't hear what I said. Go to Hebrews chapter 8. Maybe you think I'm, I'm joking. You think it's not in the Bible. Yanko Hebrews. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Are you in the church? Oh. Let me show it to you. Jesus is called the testator in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 9, rather. Let's read from verse 15. Hebrews 9, 15. He says, and for this cause, he is the mediator of the New Testament. The word mediator is executioner. Let's read it. It's like a lawyer. A lawyer is the one who is invited to read out the will. Do you get it? So the lawyer is a testator. So a testator is a lawyer. Who's a law? Who's, in, who's doing law here? <laughs> are you serious or you are joking? Ah, Beverly. Is there anything like that? A testator? There is. What does a person do? <laughs> come, come. Don't worry, I'll give you my microphone. I'll give you my microphone. 
What does the person do? Hallelujah. So he tells you what is in the will, and you pay him. I think it is a third of all the estate, everything he reads. And does he ensure you enjoy it? Yes, yes, yes. He does. So <laughs> his duty is to let you know what has been given to you and help you to ha- have access to it. That's his job. Now, Jesus, listen, Jesus, after writing the will, the will cannot be enforced. For instance, if your father has a TV, you can't go and take the TV and say, my friend, I want TV. It's my inheritance. Even though you are not dead, it's mine now. So you just go and unplug the TV. When he asks you, hey, what are you going? Then you say, ah, but it's in the will that is mine. So my friend, I'm taking it out. Can you do that? Your father will remove your name from the will and slap you. You can't do that. So a will cannot be enforced until the one who wrote the will dies. So go down. Go to verse 17 and I will come back up. Okay? It says, for a testament or a will, the word testament is will. So if you see New Testament, it means new will. Old Testament is old will. Okay? For a testament is of no force. It's of force after men are dead. Or a testament, the will comes into force. It comes into operation after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all. While the testator liveth, or the one who wrote the will lives. So Jesus, in order for you to have inheritance, died. After he wrote the will, he willed everything to you and then he died. So that you can have access to the will. Then he rose again as the executor to make sure, as your lawyer, to make sure that you enjoy the will. So go back to verse 15. That's what verse 15 says. He says, and for this cause, he's the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of, of transgressions that, that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. So he dies so that you can have eternal inheritance from here on earth, then to heaven. Affable. So before Jesus died, then Jesus started making some statements. In John chapter 16, let's read 19. John 16, 19. Now, Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him because he had said that, I'm going, you will not see me, and then later on you see me. So they were wondering. Now, Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto them, do you inquire among yourselves of that I said, of what I said, after a little while, and you shall not see me, and again, a little while, and you shall see me. Are you, are you inquiring about it? Then they said, oh, yes. We are, we are wondering, what do you mean by, after a little while, you, be, you will not see you, and after a little while, we'll see you. What are you talking about? Then Jesus started explaining to them. Next verse. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. He was talking about his death. When I die, you shall weep and lament, but the whole world will be happy. And you shall be sorrowful, then it says, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. Next verse. A woman, when she's in travail, has sorrow, because her hour has come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembered no more the anguish for joy. That the man is born into the world. Jesus was going to bring all of us into the world. And he said that for the moment, my death brings sorrow. You are, you are good. But when you come out, everybody will rejoice. You rejoice. I rejoice. Everybody rejoice. Next verse. And you now therefore have sorrow. But I will see you again. I will come out from the dead and I will see you again. And your heart, when I see you again, your heart shall rejoice. And your joy no man take it from you. So do you know what Jesus said when he rose from the dead? The very first thing Jesus said when he rose from the dead is in Matthew chapter 28. <laughs> Look at Matthew 28. Let's read from verse 8 into verse 9. And they departed quickly from the sepulchre. This is the women who visited the tomb, okay? And were told by the angels that Jesus is risen again with fear and great joy and did run to bring his disciples where next verse and as they went to tell his disciples behold Jesus met them and when he met them he was saying all hail now what is the meaning of all hail the word all hail is charistia and it means rejoice with exceeding gladness with much noise with great excitement that's what Jesus told them Rejoice, Charlie, your problems are over. Why? Because I am back. And because I am back, my being back is a testimony of the fact that your inheritance has come. It's a fact that now you can be born again. 
It's a fact that now you can prosper in your life. It's a fact that now you can break all the problems that are in the world. It's a fact that now you have inherited all things. So, listen, if you knew that your father was Bill Gates, you know, someone said that, right? Because right now we have uh, people who say they identify as something. They are males who say they identify as females, right? Someone said, I identify as a female. Another person who is a, a female says, I identify as a male. There are people who say they identify as disabled. So someone poured acid on her, on her eye to destroy her eyes so that she can be blind. She identifies as a blind person. There's a man who says he identifies as a toddler. So now he's now a six-year-old. He identifies as a six-year-old. Someone also came out and said he identifies as Bill Gates' son. So, Bill Gates should know that he has a child here. And that he should make sure the inheritance he gets some. And that he's coming to America to come and enjoy his inheritance. Hey! Since we are identifying, the guy who says I'm identifying as Bill Gates' son. God bless you for listening. We pray that the word of God will be rooted and grounded in your heart as you give attention to the word. Kindly follow Pastor T and Love Economy Church on all social networks for more of God's word. Don't forget to subscribe to the Pastor T podcast. Simply search for Pastor T on any podcast app, plug in and enjoy God's word. Visit our website at loveeconomychurch.org for more information. God bless.